Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Aren't you glad that God is happy? You know, I, I think once Jesus came up out of that grave and ascended back before the presence of the Father, and, you know, we just can't really understand that spiritual union, that, that Trinitarian existence of God in three persons. I mean, how amazing is it going to be to get there and just watch that unfold, you know? I mean, I've, I've heard people have had, that have had experiences, and, you know, we can't make doctrine out of that kind of stuff, but how amazing is it going to be to see that throne and however Jesus, you know, man, you know, our, own, our imagination doesn't even do it a service. But how amazing is it going to be, you know? Maybe our little, we'll all meet to his right, our left, you know, we'll all meet over there and say, hey, that's what it looks like. I don't, you know, I don't know. But it's, it's just such a real reality to understand that we are connected right now in this moment with that source of life, that life that flows from the throne of God really is Christ. You know, Christ is that life. It's not like there's the river doctrine and then there's the Christ doctrine. You know what I mean? Like we separate all this stuff, but that river that comes out of God is Christ. And that Christ is in you. And that's what we want, you know, that's what Christianity is. Of course, it's believing and understanding and studying Scripture but it's, it's like what Jesus, you know, kind of challenged the Pharisees. He said, you guys are searching Scripture because you think in that Scripture you have life, but you don't come to me. I am life. You know, it's Him living in us that actually causes us to come alive. We were dead in our sin, cut off in our trespasses, and then we say yes to this thing that God does through Christ, and it's like... You know, spiritually, it's hard to understand. Like, when somebody gets born again, right, born of the Spirit, however you'd say it, when somebody receives Christ and they're engrafted back into God after having been cut off, it's hard to understand, right? I don't know if you've ever been evangelistic where you've hit the streets or you've had the privilege of leading someone to the Lord, you know? You kind of feel like, well, am I doing it right? Because there's really no magic prayer. There's not like any one prayer that you can lead people through. And it's not like we're in a denomination where you got to get born again, 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 and again, and again, you know. But it's like, how, how does that connection work? You know, and I think we can't quantify it or make it a mechanical understanding. We just have to understand and realize the spirit of the living God dwells within me. If you said yes to Christ, the spirit of the living God dwells within you. In fact, is flowing through you and is seeking to bear fruit through you and is seeking to glorify himself through you. That's what Christianity is. Christianity isn't getting that list of rules right or getting proper understanding of this book. I mean, this, this book is not a weapon. Are you following me? This book is not a weapon against homosexuals. You know, homosexuality is not how God designed it. That's the problem with it. It's not the way he designed us to function and live. 
But this book is not your proof to go after them and say, you're wrong. You're going to hell. You got to get it right. No, it's an invitation into there's something better. There's the life of God. There's an order of the way God created things to work, and you can have life and blessing connected to that life source. That's what it's about. We're trying to drive people to desire God. We're trying to point people to Jesus and say, he, this is life. Everything else is religion. But I'm telling you, this book, the more I study this book and the more I learn, because I'm still kind of naive in regard to doc, you know, different doctrinal positions, I mean, I've, I've studied, I, I wasn't raised in church. We didn't have any denominational. I still don't, you know, I don't know a lot of what certain denominations believe. I'm still studying a lot of that kind of stuff. But I know Jesus, and I know what his word says. And it is not to be used to divide the body of Christ. Our love for one another within the body of Christ is the strength that will inspire the world to believe that God sent Jesus into the world. Our unity in Christ, us understanding the commandment, love one another. If you're loving one another, the world's going to say, hey, they follow Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't know about that talking snake and all those animals on that boat. And, you know, there's all that same story and all these different mythological historical perspectives and, you know, maybe the Bible borrowed. I don't, you know, I don't, I've gotten confused about some of that. I'm saying this is what other people say. That I'm confused about a little bit of that and I see this and I contradictions and, you know, there's a guy that did a book on the contradic- contradictions. This is air quotes if you're listening by audio. Contradictions in the Bible. If there's a contradiction, it's you. It's you not understanding something. The Bible's not contradicting itself. But this Bible is not the Holy Spirit. This Bible is his revealed word. It is inspired. But it's like what Jesus said. You don't find life in this. This points you to the life. He is the living word. Christ is the living word of God. That's what we want. We want to feed on him. We want to be nourished and inspired and brought to life in him. Amen? But one of the best ways to do that is read your Bible. So today, you know, we just wrapped up a whole series on um, understanding the teachings of Jesus. And, you know, we'll send a link out to the church that packs all that stuff together. So if any of you want to go back and reread some of those, I went through the Beatitudes, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the teachings of Jesus where he says, look, if your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And how you, where does that sit within New Covenant understanding? And what are you supposed to do with a scripture like that? I'm not going to go back into all that again because we put that in context of the New Covenant and understand, look at here, I'm going, I can't help myself, can I? (laughs) Because there's people sitting there going, well, what do we do with it? I'll just give you the short version. (laughs) Read Galatians 3. The law was given to reveal sin and to be a schoolmaster to show us that we need Jesus. And Jesus, functioning as the schoolmaster and as the highest authority to teach the law, taught it at a heart level, obedience from the heart, to reveal to you exactly what the law was designed to do, and that is reveal your sin to show you that you cannot measure up on your own and that you need Jesus. Well, that's that's pretty good encapsulation. 
And then at the end of that, he says, I'm the narrow gate. The gate's small, the road's narrow, hard to find. Well, he's talking about himself. When he says the road is narrow and the gate is small, he's not referring to that list of really difficult teachings that he just gave. He's saying, because of this level of impossibility that you can't do on your own, the only way in is me, and I'm the narrow gate. So, but to understand that, you read Scripture. You understand context. You understand who was he speaking to. What is it that he was trying to accomplish? What was his original intent? And this is where I'm going now because, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to show you a little, a little video. So if we want to prep that, um, and then we're going to read pretty much the entire book of Ephesians today, and then we're going to go get our cars washed. So awesome. I, I'm, today is I'm less interested in teaching you something and more interested in showing you a way to approach the Bible because you should be reading it. You decide how often and how long and all that. I'm not going to say it's more holy to read between 715 and 745 <laughs> like the Spirit's more active at that, you know. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not just trying to be funny because a lot of people beat themselves up because they don't get up and read the Bible early. You ever felt guilty because, you know, you're more of an afternoon person? It's like, but I'm supposed to be reading it in the morning. You're a 7.30 at night person? You're an 11.30 at night person? Okay. So, again, the Bible is not a weapon. It is, it is, it's so much, it is the Word of God. It is the... The, the, the inspired historical account that God, of, of God's interaction with mankind through his selected people, the Israelites, ultimately for one purpose, and that is to affirm the revelation of Christ in the earth. That's what the Bible ultimately should do is help you realize this revelation of Christ in the earth. You know, we don't go to it to try to figure out if I, if I get this doctrine right, then that makes me more of a Christian. You know, the Bible is not the thing that you, it, once you understand it properly, then that means you become more holy. And there are certain denominations that make it all about this. It's like the Father, Son, and Holy Bible rather than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and some people say, well, God's done everything already. God is not moving in the earth today. He's not speaking to anyone. He spoke this is it, boom. If you want to hear God, go to this. There's no, you know, which, which to me means there's no relationship happening. There's no interaction between you and God. God did something, retreated back to heaven, gave us this book, said, figure me out through that book right there. And that book has been used to say, you're wrong and you're wrong. You're probably going, you're probably going to hell. I don't want to point at anybody. <laughs> You know, you, you understand what I'm saying? We're right, you're wrong. We're the word police. We've got our finger on the pulse of truth. You ever heard something like that? And I'm really not trying to just bash church and people that love the Bible, but the issue is, are you going to Christ for your source of life? Christ helps you understand what's written in this word. But there are some accurate study, or, or there are some... Uh, valuable study ways to approach the Bible. You know, a, a historical perspective to understand a few things. When you're reading Scripture, you want to ask yourself, who are they speaking to? What's the audience? 
You know, what, what would have been the original intent of this author, especially when you get over to like Romans 9, 10, and 11, where it looks like God's just saying, you know what, it's my way or the highway. I created that one for death, and I created that one for hell, and I created that one for destruction. You don't like it? Tough. Because like, that's kind of like what it sounds like he's saying. So today, we are going to look at Ephesians. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to teach, per se, on the doctrine of predestination. I will address it. But more than anything, I want to show you how to deal with doctrines like that from a historical perspective to understand, okay, how do I put this in Jesus' perspective? If I'm going to keep my Jesus filter on when I read this, how does this make sense? All right, let's, so this video that we're about to play, if you want to get really ready, really, really ready, don't play it yet. <laughs> this is from a, a group in Portland, Oregon, and it's almost like, can anything good come out of Portland, you know? <laughs> but uh, it's a group called The Bible Project. Anybody, has anybody accessed The Bible Project? Okay, there's a couple of cool things about what they've got. This, so this is their app. They've got several different things going on. It is a ministry, ultimately, that is bringing art and scripture together. And I've heard of a lot of schools, you know, Christian schools using these resources, and several of us on staff and in the church are using this resource. They have... Um, a video like what we're about to show for every book in the Bible, and what it does is it gives you an overview of the entire book. And I'm telling you, when you're reading Scripture, it is really important to know that. Because a lot of times what happens, and you, you know, a lot, of, a lot of preachers do this, just lift up a couple of topical things out of Scripture, out of context, and string them together and say, here's my th doctrine. It's like, okay, well, I'm not so sure that's what he really meant by that, you know? And it's not that you go back and reframe everything. It's just that we frame everything in light of Jesus, understanding the context of what I'm reading. Okay? Does that make sense? Most of you know that. But I love this resource because it's, you know, it's not for kids. It's for everybody. But it just helps you, you know, get an overall perspective. Now, so this video is like eight and a half minutes. We're only going to watch, I don't know, I'm going to tell him when to stop, the first couple of minutes. But you can go to thebibleproject.com. All of their resources are free. You can get that app, and it's called Read Scripture, and it looks exactly like that. Um, the colors are reversed, I think. But it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's the Bible laid out in a reading plan, where you, and, they, and they've rearranged it to be chronological rather than the order of how the, the, uh, the letters and books are placed in the Bible, because you know this stuff's out of order, right? And it's not, I'm not saying it's wrong that it's out of order, it's just that the way these guys have chosen to present it is so that you can read it chronologically, and you don't see where a prophet is coming and speaking, and that's already been fulfilled, and move jumping around, right? So, let's go ahead and um, watch this, and, and I'll tell you when to stop, and then we'll go, we'll keep going from there. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus is really interesting. You can go read about it in Acts chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city. It was the epicenter of worship for most of the Greek and Roman gods. And for over two years, Paul had a really effective missionary presence there, and lots of people became followers of Jesus. Years later, after being imprisoned by the Romans, Paul wrote this letter. 
The movement of thought in the letter divides into two really clear halves. In the first half, Paul is exploring the story of the gospel, how all history came to its climax in Jesus and in his creation of this multi-ethnic community of his followers. The second half of the letter is linked to the first by the word, therefore. And here Paul explores how the gospel story should affect how we live every part of our life story personally, in our neighborhoods and communities, and in our families. So let's dive in, and we can see how Paul develops all of this. Chapter 1 opens with a beautiful Jewish-style poem, where Paul praises God the Father for the amazing things that he has done in Christ Jesus. From eternity past, the Father has purposed to choose and bless a covenant people. And think here, the family of Abraham and Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And through Jesus now, anyone can be adopted into that family. Jesus' death covers our worst sins, our worst failures, and in Jesus we find God's grace. In fact, Paul says, that grace has opened up a whole new way for us to understand every part of our lives. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, that God's purpose was to unify all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, which is a title that means Messiah. God's plan was always to have a huge family of restored human beings who are unified in Jesus the Messiah. This divine purpose became clear, Paul says, when we were first made into that family. And here he's referring to ethnic Jews in the family of Abraham. But then Paul talks about how you, and here he means non-Jews, you all heard about Jesus and the salvation through him. And you were also brought into this family by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so here he's referring to the events told in the stories of Acts about how God's Spirit brought together Jew and non-Jew into one family in Jesus. It's just like God promised to Abraham long ago. Notice also how in this poem, Paul begins by talking about God the Father, but then about Jesus the Son, and then here at the end about the Spirit. All three work together as Paul tells the story of the gospel. It's really cool. After the poem, Paul responds with a prayer. He prays that these followers of Jesus would not just know about, but personally experience the power of the gospel, that they would be energized by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and placed him as the exalted head of the whole world. Now, in chapter 2, Paul goes back and he elaborates on some key ideas from the poem in chapter 1, especially God's grace and this new multi-ethnic family of Jesus. He begins by retelling the story of how these non-Jewish Christians came to know Jesus. Before hearing about Jesus, they were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead. They were trapped in a purposeless life of selfishness and sin, and they were deceived by dark spiritual forces of evil. But amazingly, God in his great love and mercy, he saved them, he forgave all of their sins, and he joined their lives to Jesus's resurrection life, and he's brought them back to life too. And so now, having been created as new human beings through Jesus, they have the joy of discovering all of the new calling and purposes and tasks that God has set before them. Not only have they been shown God's grace, they've also been invited into a new family. Before hearing about Jesus, these non-Jewish people, they were not just cut off from God, they were cut off from his covenant people, the family of Abraham. And for a really practical reason, the commands of the Sinai covenant, they formed like a boundary line around the family. They were like a barrier that kept most non-Jewish people away. But in Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been fulfilled and the barrier is removed 
the two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it, a new unified humanity that can live together in peace. So Paul goes on in chapter 3 to marvel at the unique role that he got to have in spreading this good news to non-Jewish people. And even though he's in prison, he's thanking God for the chance he's had to see this covenant family grow so huge. So Paul closes the first half of the letter with another prayer. This time he prays that Jesus' followers would be strengthened by God's Spirit to simply grasp and comprehend the love that Christ has for his people. The second half of the letter begins with Paul shifting gears. What do you think? I mean, they do a great job, don't they? I mean, he's talking fast. So, you know, I've, I've gone back and watched a lot of them a couple of times. But what you get out of this, and I'm not saying that this is the only resource that you should use. There are lots of resources out there. There are lots of resources that talk about the historical reasons of why each book, each letter was written. And the more you understand Paul's journey and, and what he's trying to do and who he felt called to and who he was speaking to, the more you can read Scripture and understand it. Because there are a group of people that say, well, if it, it says it and this word means this and that's all that it means. And it's like, okay, it, you, you should read it at face value. You should read it and it means what it means. But what is it? But who does it mean that to? Okay? So, watch this. And let's go, and I'm just going to read through Ephesians 1. So if you'll throw that up there. And I'm going to do, I'm going to read it in the King James, because just most of us are just familiar with that one. So, but keep in mind, because we're going to get to a point when he starts talking about predestination. And in a lot of people's minds, predestination means God beforehand determined everything. God beforehand decided what kind of job you were going to have, when you were going to lose it, when your wife was going to have cancer, when your child was going to have that bike wreck, and when those millions and millions of Africans were going to die from starvation. That's typically what some folks mean of predestination. Now, when you understand who he was writing to and the point that he was making, Predestination is referring to what God predetermined how he would save those who would believe. So what's predestined is like it says in Romans 8, 29, that you be conformed to the image of Christ. And it says those he foreknew, those he called. Now, the foreknow, and I'm going fast again, I know, but those, the foreknowing has everything to do with this covenant family. Remember that group of people that they drew the fence around? The language of chosen, elect, foreknew, predestined, all of that is talking about this covenant family that he made this promise to to bring the Messiah. Now that Christ is in the earth, that is the predestined way for all to be engrafted into Christ for those who believe. Amen. Do you see that? And it's strange that this word predestination in some people's minds trigger a line of systematic theology that says God's controlling your toothache. You, you hear me? Speaking of toothache, my wife may be home watching. She had some dental work. We love her. She hates to be away, but anyway. Fast recovery. She heals so fast, she's, she's already good, but... So, back to on top, I started thinking about my wife there. I got a little off track there, didn't I? <laughs> watch, where, watch where we go with this. Keep in mind, you know, what we talked about. Now, here's the deal. 
you have the, the uh, right to believe whatever you want to believe. There are some non-negotiables. Jesus, you can't, there's non-negotiation about what he did, who he is. That's where you get into cultic mentality. You start perverting who Jesus is. But on stuff like this, you talk to five different preachers, you'll get five different explanations. It is what it is. It's not about getting the Bible right. Although we want to get it as right as possible. You know what I want to know? Like Einstein, I only want to know God's thoughts. Everything else is just details. I want to know what God would think about this. You know what I mean? But we're not God, so we argue. Paul, an apostle Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints. So right off the bat, he's writing to saints. Now, the early church also was uh, split over whether or not Gentiles could even be saved. The, the Jewish church that recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they had a debate of whether or not Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews, could even be born again. Can you imagine having that conversation? I mean, and I'll put it, I'll put it in these kinds of terms. It'd be like a bunch of white people having a conversation if black people could be saved. That's what it's like. So... Paul, an apostle of Jesus. So anyway, the point being, he's writing to believers. But in the early church, uh, because of all the persecution that was happening through Rome and because of uh, all the moving around that was happening, especially in the Roman church, which next week I'm actually going to go and talk about Romans 9, 10, and 11, frame that up a little bit in light of audience. Um, But that early church, that there, there was a lot of conflict of Jewish tradition versus Gentiles even being saved and how these people could be in the covenant family of God because through the Israelites, through Abraham, through this bloodline, we're the ones that carry the truth of the Messiah. We're the one, you know, it's like, and it, and it was that way until Christ and he wrecked the entire system and said, nope, it's for everybody. Amen. All who would believe. Amen. All right. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. (coughs) Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, I mean, I I could probably rabbit trail 27 times when I'm about to read, so y'all pray that I'm just going to read. Who has, say has, has, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. Where's Christ? According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So now you start getting into this idea of where the election doctrine comes out of. Some of you have been taught these kinds of things, and some of you are detoxing from certain kinds of beliefs, but the election doctrine would say God predetermined who would be saved. So he willingly created some people knowing they were going to hell. And none of you know who are saved, but this one church that's got it all figured out because we understand the Bible, we're probably the ones that are going to heaven. (laughs) It's by our love for one another that the world will believe that we follow Jesus, and it's by our unity in that love as the body of Christ that will inspire the world to believe that God sent Jesus into this earth. 
it is the tactic of the enemy to divide and create infighting. Just throwing that nugget in there. So, according to the good pleasure of his will, according as he has chosen us, now remember how he talked about who he's talking to in this first part. He's talking to Jews. So chosen us, he's saying, he's affirming what a Jew would believe in this time of, you know, time frame to say, yes, he chose us. And then he's going to go on to say, but it's also for the Gentiles. So he's affirming that, yes, they were the chosen people. They were the elect. But now it's open for everybody. If you don't get that, then you think that this is talking about only some people can be saved and some people can't. Uh, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That sounds like what we just saying, right? I mean, that's really probably where he got part of that is, is this here. To know that you're holy. Rabbit trail. Keep going. Verse 6. <laughs> having, or 5. Having predestined, predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the pleasure of his good will to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Say, I'm accepted in the beloved. Next verse. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, which he just said is redemption through Christ, According to his, because see, a lot of times people will stop and look at that and say, oh, oh, his will is mysterious. God works in mysterious ways and use this and say, you know, we don't really understand what he's doing. It's like, no, the, the mystery of the will that he's talking about is again referenced over in Colossians when he says the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery of God's will that Christ in you would be righteousness before the Father. Now, God does have a will, and it, it has, absolutely has to do with behavior and what he wants to do through you and what he might call you individually into. There is that will also. But what this is talking about in context is not that God's will is mysterious, but that it, the mystery is now revealed, which is Christ in you is your hope of being glorified through God. So, you know, it almost makes you feel like, man, I need to go to seminary to understand some stuff. But it's like, no, really, if you understand that Christ brings it all together and you can depend on the Holy Spirit to shed light and illuminate that scripture that you've been given and you understand that Jesus ties it all together, it starts to give you a piece of understanding so you're not splitting all these doctrines out and confusing yourself. So according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on the earth, even in him, in whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be... Now, go back to that. If you're reading this, if you were just reading this as a letter 
the all things still has to be in context of what he's talking about, and that is salvation in Christ, redemption through Christ. If you read bringing together all things, or jump over to Romans 8 at the end, it says all things work together for good who love God called according to his purpose. Same purpose, and that is to receive righteousness in Christ. Am I going too fast? Shouldn't have had that second half a cup of coffee, but... That's the will, that's the predestined will, is that people receive Christ through this redemption and given this righteousness that is now by faith and not of the works of the law. See, if, if you got to almost learn how to think early church-minded, think Jewish and Gentile-minded and not American-minded to really get the scope of all these things that are being said here a group of people thinking that they're the only ones, and now God's saying, no, the mystery of the will that I've been working through this particular bloodline for thousands of years is that this Christ is for everybody. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. And see now, if we're talking about redemption in Christ, and that's the mystery, working all things, we can't pretend that we know exactly what that's talking about. But if you slide that down to when you stub your toe and, you know, what the emperor of China, do they still have emperors? I don't know, whatever they have over there, of China is doing and what's happening with that moose in Canada. You know what I mean? Like all things God has predetermined and predestined and not one thing happens that he didn't first decide was... You know what I'm saying? Because that's what happens. These are the scriptures that are used to say God is in control of everything. And that mentality causes people to hate God. Well, I don't understand this sickness. I don't understand this poverty. I don't understand this emotional turmoil. I don't understand why I keep finding this mess in my life over and over and over. But God determined all things ahead of time. So praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It just doesn't match. It doesn't match with... Jump over to 2 Peter 3.9 real quick. Y'all are doing good. Hang in there. 2 Peter 3.9. This is God's will regarding repentance and salvation, right? So, again, lightly touching on the issue of elect and predestination as if it's only for certain people... Here's what God, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, why would God contradict himself? It is his desire that nobody perish, that all come to repentance. Why would he contradict himself and say, You two are in, you're not in, you are in, you three are out, you're in, you're out, you're out. That's election taught from that reform perspective. And I, again, I realize I'm using the Bible to create division in this moment. I'm not, <laughs> I'm being a little hypocritical, but I, I want to reveal the mindset of when you read scripture, you got to put it all together, right? God's will, everybody be saved. Is that going to happen? Not 
I don't think so. You're telling me God doesn't get his desires? God doesn't always get his will accomplished? Okay, interesting. Back to Ephesians, and we'll just finish that chapter. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. That, that, is, that is the, if you want an end to your Christianity, it is that God would be glorified through you. And God being glorified through you means you have humbled yourself to his will. You have submitted to his influence and his direction. You are making choices that he would lead you to make. You are turning away from the things that he would lead you to turn away from. You are doing whatever it is that he's leading you to do. God being glorified through you, that's, but that's not the bar to reach. That's the, the letting the tomatoes stay on the vine until it's completely ripe. She said, no, she's a farmer. Did I get it wrong? <laughs> Don't mess up my illustration. You know what I'm saying, right? It's fruit, not law-keeping. Twelve, one more time. That we should, this is our prayer, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Now, there is a thread kind of coming into this new covenant awakening, this faith righteousness awakening that says that because everything was created in Christ and God is gathering everything back together in Christ and everybody's already saved, it's not about choice, it's not about free will, you don't choose whether you get saved or not, everybody's already saved. Well, this seer says you don't get the Spirit until after you've believed. Romans 8, again, makes the distinction whether you have the Spirit or you don't have the Spirit. That's the difference. There's two kind of people on the planet, those who have the Spirit and those who don't have the Spirit. And it only comes through Christ. That's the narrow gate. So, <clears throat> after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You know, I, I like to, I think about this a lot. God sealed me. You know, and, and the picture is like Noah going into the boat. You know, the door was closed from the outside. It's kind of like Noah's thinking, well, how am I going to close this boat? Don't worry about that. I got it. How am I going to stay saved? Don't worry about that. I got it. Amen. And he closes the boat from the outside, seals it himself, which is a representation of you being hidden with Christ in God. Pretty safe. I'd say watertight. In whom, uh, yeah, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, meaning the body. Your spirit is, that's why you can stand and say, I'm righteous and holy, because it's true of the eternal aspect of you. But there's coming a time Amen. when that ain't happening no more. <laughs> this is purchased too. That's my little fat roll there, you know. <laughs> That rabbit 12, they may keep in track, rabbit trail 12. All right. <laughs> Until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you in my prayers, making mention of you in my prayers, and then he prays. 
that the God, I mean, but even just watching that little video, right, kind of shows you, okay, he's kind of progressing here. He's moving into a prayer. I mean, it's pretty obvious at face value reading, but, you know, I, I, when I study a particular book now, the Bible Project is definitely one of the resources I use. Um, that, by the way, if you do go find them, all their videos are free on their YouTube channel. Watch the one on holiness, because it's not just Bible, it's not just books of the Bible, it's also topical, uh, and the one on holiness is excellent. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You know, remember that in Christ, this is Colossians. So what I'm saying is, some people think, well, I need that spirit of wisdom. I need that spirit of revelation. I need something else that God hasn't already given me. But remember that in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, right? Again, I, I, I do want to teach you that, but I want you to understand I've got to keep that in my mind and in my heart when I read this because I'm not looking for God to give me something else. And what, you know, wisdom, anytime I see the word wisdom, I'm triggered that Jesus is made unto us wisdom. Amen. I have Jesus. So I have wisdom. What I need is this, my mind to be renewed after the Spirit of God to receive that wisdom, to, to see the wisdom that He's already given me and trying to reveal in me, right? May give unto you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Scripture, in the knowledge of how to keep the law. You know, again, it's all about Jesus. Not saying you can run out and sin, but it's about Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the... Now, this is, this is one of those... This thing is alive right here. You can read this every day for a year, and, and, and it's the, it, so deep. There's so much spirit coming out of this thing, however you'd say it, that it's like, oh, man, you, you know, it's like one word in this means something deeper and deeper and deeper each time you're, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which to me in this moment, uh, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. See, God's inheritance, the glory of God's inheritance is in the saints. You see that? For the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross. Amen. The inher God inherited something too. That is you. Amen. God adopted you. The mystery of this will is that God did something and put a treasure within you. It's like the parable of the kingdom. He found that treasure in that field and he went and sold everything to have that. You're the field. You're the treasure in that field. And he sent Jesus. Come on. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us? That's grace. Amen. His power toward us, according to the working of His mighty power. Grace again. Grace is not just, oh, you missed it, you're forgiven. Grace is, before you miss it, here's some power, you're not going to miss it now. Which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead 
same power that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your family. See, when you, when you read Scripture, you start to realize there's not all these separate doctrines that i got to figure out. This is saying the exact same thing, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to your physical body, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power. Now He's going to show you, don't be, don't be scared of the devil. We're going to deal with that too. Far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. I mean, he's so... Because if he didn't say in the world to come, you might worry about the world to come. <laughs> and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. That's what I say out loud. It's a snort laugh. When you, you read that, you're like, he's given us the fullness of him, the one that fills everything, the one that brings everything together, the one through which everything is created and judged and determined and every, every, holds everything together. You know, I was talking, I can't remember who I was talking, somebody, uh, I think Mike. The physicists are at a place where they now understand every part of what they can observe, but they have no idea how everything is held together and how it works. Physicists that are honest will say, we need a new system of physics a new system of the science of physics to understand how everything works because the one we have has too many gaps in it. They understand the forces. They understand the things that are built up within those forces and how the forces affect everything, but they have no clue how it all works. Jesus, it, it, you know, everything is upheld by the word of his power. Amen. So that, when you end up there, that God gave him that fills all in all to the church, how dare you stand before God and say, I don't deserve to have you working in my life because of what I did yesterday. Get your mind out of the gutter. Get your mind out of your carnal life and into your spiritual identity and affirm this is who I am. This might be a really bad example for some of you, but it just popped into my heart, so I'm going to say it. It's like Halloween, right? Some of you really enjoy, or maybe used to really enjoy, dressing up for Halloween. and You'd own that character. Who, who would do that, dress up for Halloween? You were, it's like you would change. It's kind of like that, but not really anything like that. No, what I'm saying is, when you understand who you really are, you will behave that way. When you understand what Jesus has actually done in you and through you, you will actually live that way. The new man, living, righteous, and holy, because it's already true of you in spirit. He will compel you and transform you by His grace to live that way outwardly as well. You can't work for it. You can't run out from under it. You can't outspeed it. 
but you can only avoid it or embrace it and let it change your life. Because the world is starving to see something, to see some real power, to see some real transformation. I mean, that's the biggest testimony the world, that the world can see is that somebody like you reflects the glory of God. You? What, what is it that you've got? I don't understand the boat and the snake and all that, but I can see you. May God be glorified in you. Amen. Father, we only want to express the goodness of your grace, the power of your gospel to reflect Jesus into this earth. Thank you so much for giving us this gift of salvation through Christ. We stand boldly in front of you and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, thank you for the grace to turn around and live that in my life. Because I want people to see what your life does within a human. So they will leave the darkness. They will leave death behind and choose you and enter into life through Christ.